I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. It's high noon for Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct to shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 280th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You designated yourselves the protectors of all that is true and the enemies of disinformation because you knew that people would like you better if you described yourself that way. And the truth is that basically everything you say and think and do is a result of the same sort of thinking. You figure out which option will make you look the best. And you go with that. And it turns out that it's far easier to seem like a good person when you are unconstrained by the truth. Your entire political philosophy, commies, is simply to figure out what stories make you sound the best and then repeat them forever, regardless of their truth value, and even regardless if anyone actually believes it. And if you are the sort of commie who's begun to wake up to this kind of thing, if you've gone through your 5,000th lie that you have had to repeat to your friends and loved ones on the basis of your tribal affiliation and your desperate attempt to seem good in the eyes of strangers, maybe you're getting a little tired of it all. Maybe you've started to feel the personal toll it is taking on you. All of the rampant dishonesty and immorality that you keep having to defend in lieu of admitting that you might have been wrong. And all of those things that you repeated, all of the slogans you repeated to make yourself sound like a good person. Well, if it turns out that all of those were lies too, well, then where does the good person go? When your positive character traits are all built on the idea that you have the right ideas about life, and it turns out all those ideas are wrong, well, I guess you've hit a wall, haven't you? And if you want to stop hitting that wall over and over and over again, I suggest you just simply let go of all of those stupid and evil communist ideas and begin to make amends with all of the people you have tormented with them, all the people you've shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. Those people never deserved it because you were lying. So stop lying. Let those ideas go and migrate back to America. You make your amends and people over here in America, we are going to accept you back into our society because we believe in second chances and we understand that you were misled by your culture and maybe even brainwashed and maybe you were just incentivized to go along with it at all and it was just too much. You couldn't resist the temptation. We get it. Doesn't make it good, but we get it. All you got to do is make amends, migrate back to America. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Wednesday, high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. 
Welcome to the show. So simple. Now you're down here on the range, commies. Everything's going to get a little better. And I wanted to start off by discussing something I was talking about briefly yesterday. I kind of mentioned it in passing and thought a little bit more about it as the day progressed. And specifically, I'm talking about a part of the conversation where people like Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins will never actually answer for the things they've done, and neither will other politicians as well. I have just been watching the Merrick Garland hearing in the Senate today, and that's why this episode is going to go up late. I'm going to have a little bit of the stuff about that hearing at the end. Merrick Garland, let me just say right off the bat, is an extraordinarily weak and corrupt man. He is a sniveling little worm. It is awful to watch him. It really is. It is so pathetic. He repeats the same lie over and over and over and over and over again just to get out of what he's doing. And the truth is there's nothing else he can say but that lie because every legitimate answer, every truthful answer he could give would end up with him being forced to resign from his job. That is a result of his corruption and incompetence. Okay, so all he has left is the one answer that kind of evades and avoids the substance of the question. No matter what question it is, he turns all the questions about right now. The case in point is the memo he sent out classifying parents essentially as domestic terrorists, as the NSBA letter asked for. And he just repeats again and again that his memo was just about violence and threats of violence. Merrick Garland today admitted that he had not investigated any of the claims in the NSBA memo. None of them. He didn't even read the stories about, for instance, the parent, Scott Smith is his name, in Virginia, whose daughter was raped by a boy in her high school bathroom. The boy was allowed into that high school bathroom because he had put on a skirt that day, which makes him automatically a woman because it's not being born with female anatomy that makes you a woman. It's about occasionally deciding to put on a dress. That's where we are now. And why do we have to pretend that that is a real legitimate view that adults should take seriously? Well, because the party of false decorum decided that they would look like better people simply by lying. So they lied. And now everybody has to lie. And if you don't lie, then you're a bigot. You don't have an open mind. You don't want other people to do what they want to do, apparently. Because apparently, by the way, a 15-year-old declaring that they are a different gender to the world is the sort of thing someone wants to do that we all have to allow and support and clap for in the background. Anyway, so Fauci, Collins, people like them, people like Merrick Garland, they never answer the questions that anyone ever asks. It is a step in a process that allows them to evade accountability for their actions. The goal for corrupt people in positions of power when they are taking a task for something they've done is to try not to perjure themselves and also try not to answer anything in a way that will create a bigger political firestorm. And all of these people are very, very bad at that because they're not smart because they're incompetent, because they're narcissists, and because they're liars. I've said many, many times on this podcast, two of the key characteristics of the party of false decorum are incompetence and narcissism. And those two work in harmony to confuse the member of the party of false decorum about how they are perceived in the world. All right. They think they epitomize excellence. If there is a good characteristic for a person to have, they have it in spades. Anthony Fauci, there is no doubt, believes that he is among the most courageous people in the world. And he has people underneath him, 
behind him, around him in the media and in, you know, celebrity Hollywood, in big tech. His daughter works for Twitter, of course. But there are people that protect that image for him. They will actually say Anthony Fauci is a very courageous man. Look what he withstands to bring us all the truth about coronavirus. He's so brave. He's so competent. How is he competent? Well, he's the country's most high ranking doctor, right? So they'll say something like that. Is Anthony Fauci competent? Well, yeah, of course. He's the country's most high ranking doctor. Okay, but is he competent? I didn't ask, did he get put into a position? I know he's in the position. Everyone who shares that same position is not going to have the same qualities and the same competence. Okay. So being in the position is no indication of competence. In fact, often in a bureaucratic managerial system, as appears in communist societies, it's rarely the most competent people who are brought into leadership positions because people who have competence and integrity are much harder to control for the people of the next level up. So they intentionally hire people who are corrupt and incompetent because they will carry out whatever they are told to carry out. And so that's how you get people like Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins and Merrick Garland. And the incompetence and narcissism just go back and forth reinforcing one another. Well, I messed this up. Then you got a whole crew of people telling you you didn't mess it up and you know that you're great. So you're just like, oh yeah, I didn't mess that up. Anthony Fauci doesn't think he made a mistake by saying that masks don't work before he said that masks do work. And then he said that two masks work better than one. And now just everybody needs to wear masks. He doesn't see a problem with that. You got to understand that Anthony Fauci actually thinks he's doing a really good job. And there is not a single decision. I really think that everyone should ask this when you're in conversations with communists and redeemable communists who are still supporting people like Anthony Fauci. Ask them, what did he get right? What did Anthony Fauci get right? When was one of his decisions the right decision? And the truth is, there has not been one of those, not one. Nothing Anthony Fauci has ever suggested has been helpful. Nothing he has ever said has ever remained in the realm of the true. And I say that in quotes for longer than what, a few weeks. But he's still not held accountable. Now, I'm not suggesting that someone in the fake administration is going to hold him accountable. That's clearly not going to happen. And again, that's part of this system of corruption and incompetence and the total lack of accountability. This is what allows them to always get away with all the heinous shit they do. But when you know you can't tell the truth because the truth is your enemy, the truth will get you in trouble. The truth will absolutely get these people in trouble. And if you don't believe that, all you need to do is look at the emails that have been released by FOIA for Anthony Fauci in particular in this case. But FOIA emails come out about all sorts of stuff and they show you who these people are and how they act in office. And so we know what the truth is and we know that the truth is harmful to their hold on power. So they're not going to tell the truth ever. They will either avoid the question completely or they will create new slogans that they can put out. And then all the little commies with their little child brains, they will fill them up with the new slogans and they will repeat them to everyone. Where do these slogans come from? I don't think that they're just thinking them up spontaneously. What they're doing is basically workshopping a bunch of possible answers and picking out the ones that they think will work best. And Jen Psaki does the same thing, of course. And so I was talking about this yesterday and I'm, I'm thinking about how this process operates. And 
I think about Twitter and I think about social media and what you have there is basically a fake news creation machine, right? So we will find something true in a FOIA or we'll see a conversation play out in the Senate. We'll watch video of a live event so that we can actually tell what happened. We will read a police report like Brianna Taylor, whatever it is, we'll expose something true. And the next few days, the Twitter sphere will try to figure out ways to say that whatever these people did that's bad is actually not bad or that they didn't do it. Or if neither of those are available, they'll figure out how you're bad for saying they did it, for telling the truth. It's your fault. You shouldn't have told the truth. They will get to that point eventually. And with social media, with the statistics that you can get, even on the front end, as you're looking at your own Twitter, what stuff gets retweeted the most, what stuff gets the most engagement? What do people gravitate towards? What becomes controversial, right? They're basically A-B testing all of these various responses until these responses refine themselves through whatever amount of limited debate happens on those platforms. And again, this is just another problem of narcissism and incompetence. They will look at all the potential options and they will select bad ones or they will think that these are the only options because their entire world revolves around reactions on Twitter and they don't think outside of that bubble. So, but on the front end, you can see the reactions on the back end. Of course, if you have access to more advanced data, you can actually see what sorts of people interacted with what sorts of things. And with that, they can try to figure out what the most effective responses are, and then they use them. And so that's what I'm thinking about yesterday. And then this article comes up in Breitbart today. Establishment media shut down secret chat room, coordinating Facebook whistleblower document releases after Breitbart news inquiries. Okay. Actually, sorry, this is from yesterday. This is Matthew Boyle in Breitbart. Several establishment media outlets coordinated the release of document disclosures in a giant and secret now defunct online chat group hidden from the public. A series of recent reports reveals the group shut down abruptly on Tuesday afternoon after a series of unanswered inquiries from Breitbart News were sent to known members throughout the establishment media, including at least two New York Times reporters, a senior editor at The Atlantic, an NBC News reporter, and several others. The online chat through an application called Slack that facilitates group chats and is used by many different newsrooms and other companies nationwide helped establishment media outlets coordinate the release of their stories on documents provided to them by so-called Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hogan. Slack is generally used internally for easier communication in remote companies, but special features do allow Slack users to set up groups with members from a selection of different companies. That appears to be what happened here as representatives from each of the above named companies and others all joined a specifically created Slack group to coordinate their stories for maximum impact. It is unclear who created the group and its full membership list is as of now unknown. But two different press reports, one from an outlet called The Information and the other, a reported column from The New York Times' Ben Smith, publicly revealed the existence of the group and the nature of its purpose, as well as some members. Most known members did not respond to Breitbart News requests for interviews, which were sent earlier on Tuesday. But after the first round of inquiries went out asking for information about the Slack group and whether its members in the interest of transparency would support the public release of its full contents, a third report, this one from tech blog Gizmodo, revealed that the group would be shutting down permanently. Smith himself has not replied to a detailed interview and comment request about his column, but in it, he downplays these revelations. The information, the first outlet to reveal the secretive chat's existence was, according to its and Smith's subsequent report, barred from membership in the group despite efforts to join. The excuse from Andrew Kautz, Gizmodo's executive editor, 
for the shutting down of the Slack group is because now access in quotes to the documents, its members coordinated release of in it is being expanded beyond the original group of publications. Okay. So what they're saying is they had these Facebook documents in this Slack channel, but they weren't releasing all the documents to the public. They were doing it bit by bit. And when they got called out on the group, the group disbanded. It is unclear if the group is formally disbanded already or just intends to eventually. It is also unclear if a digital record of the group's members coordination still exists or not. No known members have not replied when asked if they support in the interest of transparency, which they all purport to believe in the full public release of the entirety of the coordination efforts in the Slack group. The mere fact these media figures were coordinating across multiple publications and presumably with Hagen or her representatives is an explosive revelation. The last time such a revelation was made on this scale, a listserv called Journal List, back during the early days of the Obama administration, it rocked the media to its core and cost several media figures their jobs. Multiple media outlets coordinating the timing and content of impactful news stories is generally considered a sin in terms of journalistic ethics. News organizations do regularly agree to embargoes where they prepare themselves and gain access to information ahead of its public release with sources not to release it until a certain time. But coordinating at this level media wide and having a secret non-public chat group to do it in is a whole other level. Sorry, by the way, for the choppy reading, but this Breitbart article is poorly punctuated and poorly written. It is what it is. It is unclear what terms the member publications agreed to to gain access to the group and therefore access to the documents, including whether or not any non-disclosure agreements were signed. Several of the group's members Breitbart News reached out to were asked if they signed formal NDAs or made any other such agreements in writing or verbally as to the content or timing of the publication of their reports on this material. None of them answered. What's more, Hagen is now being formally represented by former Deputy White House Press Secretary Bill Burton, who worked for years in former President Barack Obama's White House. Burton confirmed to the Times of Smith that while he originally was a volunteer, he is now being paid by tech billionaire Pierre Omidyar, who is funding the effort from Hagen. Burton has not responded to Breitbart News's request for an interview or detailed a set of questions, including whether or not he was a member of this coordination slack group or not and whether or not he has secured any formal or informal NDA-like agreements with any of the Slack group members or others in media regarding the content and timing of the publication of their reports. One political consultant who has been in contact with several of the media figures involved in the coordinated effort told Breitbart News that there likely are such agreements in place, and it is unclear if they are formal NDAs or more informal written or verbal agreements. Burton has also not answered. When asked whether Omidyar himself is a member of this secret now defunct Slack group and when asked how much Omidyar is paying him. Even so, Smith's Times column says that Hagen and her advisors have created a new kind of journalistic network and even admits concerns among the group, saying it has stirred mixed feelings among the journalists involved. But nobody has explicitly said if Burton, Hagen or anyone else connected to them or on Omidyar's payroll was a member of this Slack group. Burton has not answered that question either. Okay, I want to pause here for a second, right? Because I am so sick of these framings and these excuses. I want to focus on this uh, this first half of that paragraph right there. So this is the New York Times' Ben Smith. His column says, Hogan and her advisors have created a new kind of journalistic network. All right. This is someone that we are supposed to believe is a legitimate whistleblower, someone who takes personal risk onto themselves to get these documents out that are important for public knowledge. Because the company behind the documents is actively harming people. Now, I have no doubt Facebook is actively harming people. And I have no doubt that Facebook is actively harming people in the way that Francis Hogan describes. Also, we have known that for five years, there has been information 
about uh, young girls and their body image issues and their suicide issues being compounded by social media for years and years. I mean, I think I was listening to like Tristan Harris talk about this in 2017 or something. This is not new information. Francis Hogan isn't a hero that released all these damaging documents to Facebook. Facebook barely blinked. Facebook said, essentially, this person should have never done this. We're so mad, but also we agree that we should censor more. That's what it was. This is a censorship effort. To know that it is coordinated behind the scenes by the media is not surprising, but it's good to have it in crystal clear detail like this. It's also striking that her representative, the communications guy, her PR guy, who was an Obama comms guy, is also in this group. Now, we know the Obama administration's relationship with big tech. We know the fake president, his administration's relationship with big tech. I mean, he literally hired people directly from big tech after they helped him steal the election. He put them into the administration. Big tech controls in some large measure what the fake administration does and says. And so now we have a mix of the Facebook whistleblower doing something that the big tech community wants. Okay. They don't want 230 removed. They don't want to be broken up because they are monopolies, but they do want Congress to make new rules about what they are allowed to delete. They don't want to self-regulate at all, and they don't want to have their market advantages taken away. They're fine if the Congress takes a couple of years to decide that they have to make some real important changes, and then they will maybe implement one or two of the changes, ignore the rest of them, and wait for a couple more years before anyone gets upset at them for breaking those rules. That's how these things go. This is coordinated on multiple levels. It's not just the media. All of these people are in that Slack channel. This is not a whistleblower. This is a PR campaign for the sake of political advantage and punishing and silencing one's political opponents. That's what we have going on here. Back to the article. According to two reports from prior to the shuttering of the group, media organizations known to have representation in the secretive Slack channel group include New York Times, NBC News, The Atlantic, Associated Press, CNN, USA Today, and Fox. None of them, except the Associated Press, which only answered some questions, responded to Breitbart News' request for interviews or information on this. Individuals who are identified as members of the group at these various publications include Brandy Zadrozny at NBC News, Ryan Mack and Mike Isaac at The New York Times, Alex Heath at The Verge, Casey Newton of The Platformer Newsletter, and Adrian LaFrance at The Atlantic. None of them responded to requests for interviews from Breitbart. LaFrance, the executive editor of The Atlantic, was so involved, according to Smith, that she even named the Slack group from Smith's column. In the last two weeks, they have gathered on the messaging app Slack to coordinate their plans. And the name of the Slack group, chosen by Adrian LaFrance, the executive editor of The Atlantic, suggests their ambivalence. Apparently, we're a consortium now. The Associated Press's head of investigations, Brian Carovellano, is quoted in Smith's New York Times column as praising the group. It's remarkable to see these news organizations, large and small, set aside some of their competitive impulses and work together to report out a story that is unquestionably in the public interest. Carovellano told Smith, wow, what a hero. The Associated Press's global director of media relations and corporate communications, Lauren Easton, confirmed to Breitbart News that Carol Villano was the outlet's representative to the consortium. She also said the only conditions placed on the publication for being a member were about embargoes of the information. The only condition the journalists agreed to was to jointly decide on a self-imposed embargo, Easton said. Easton also provided a quote from Carol Villano to Breitbart News, almost identical to the one provided to the Times of Smith, detailing the nature of the relationship between the organizations. We have cooperated on logistics of accessing the documents, but not on reporting or writing. 
Every outlet has the freedom to pursue whatever story it wants, Carol Villano said. Nonetheless, it's remarkable to see these news organizations, large and small, set aside some of their competitive impulses and work together to work on something that is unquestionably in the public interest. That's the statement. And I want to focus on that for a second because this is kind of remarkable. We have cooperated on logistics of accessing the documents. Okay. That doesn't sound like a major logistical hill to climb, right? Just give me the documents. I will open them on my computer. I will have access to them. (laughs) But not on reporting or writing. Yes, they all have their own individual points of view, for sure. Every outlet has the freedom to pursue whatever story it wants. Nonetheless, it's remarkable to see these news organizations, large and small, set aside some of their competitive impulses and work together on something that is unquestionably in the public interest. Got it. All right. So normally all these journalistic institutions are in a competition to get the most eyes on their content. It used to be that they just wanted to report the stories correctly, but that doesn't really matter anymore. So this is a race for engagement. Now, we are supposed to believe that the driving force of these news organizations is to be the best, right? That's what competition is. You don't compete with other people to be mediocre or be the worst. If you're competing, you're trying to be the best. Now, going back to late last year, and this article is from BBC. This is uh, the 10th of December, 2020. Trusted News Initiative to Combat Spread of Harmful Vaccine Disinformation and Announces Major Research Project. Okay, at a recent summit chaired by the BBC's new director general, Tim Davey, the Trusted News Initiative agreed to focus on combating the spread of harmful vaccine disinformation. Ooh, it's so scary. What this article is about to describe is the mouthpiece for global communism, a global state media. Okay. With the introduction of several possible new COVID-19 vaccines, there has been a rise of anti-vaccine disinformation spreading online to millions of people. Examples include widely shared memes which link falsehoods about vaccines to freedom and individual liberties. Other posts seek to downplay the risk of coronavirus and suggest there is an ulterior motive behind the development of a vaccine. Yeah, how could anyone believe that? Whilst it is important to scrutinize the science behind new COVID-19 vaccines and give voice to legitimate concerns from people wondering what a coronavirus coronavirus vaccine means for them, questions about levels of immunity and whether a vaccine is appropriate for those with chronic health conditions, it is vital that audiences know they can turn to sources they trust for accurate, impartial information. TNI partners will alert each other to disinformation, which poses an immediate threat to life. So content can be reviewed promptly by platforms, whilst publishers ensure they don't unwittingly republish dangerous falsehoods. The TNI is already working to tackle the spread of harmful coronavirus disinformation and previously has had success running a rapid alert system during the UK 2019 general election, Myanmar and Taiwan 2020 general elections and the US presidential election. Gosh, thank goodness they were looking out for us. And thank goodness they were looking out for Myanmar because it's not like they tried to steal an election there. That situation has no parallel whatsoever, except that it's exactly the same as all the other nations that they have been stealing elections in, including the United States of America. Tim Davey, director general of the BBC, says 2020 has been a year like no other. We have seen the rapid spread of harmful disinformation and a growing number of conspiracy theories online. Whether it's a threat to our health or a threat to our democracy, there is a human cost to disinformation. The Trusted News Initiative partners will continue to work together to expand our framework and ensure legitimate concerns about future vaccinations are heard whilst harmful disinformation myths are stopped in their tracks. So that's an idea of what the group is. I'm going to jump to the end here. Notes to editors here at the bottom. This is, by the way, from the BBC's Media Center. This isn't like a a news article. It's more like a, a press release kind of thing. The Trusted News Initiative was set up last year. This means 2019 because the article is from 2020 to protect audiences and users from disinformation, particularly around moments of jeopardy, such as elections. Yes, it is the most important time for news organizations to all say the same thing when the issue they're discussing is of 
massive importance. The more important an issue is, the less sides you want to hear from. The less you want to know, you want to know that there's just one story that everyone's going to stick to. That's how we're going to get through the important issue altogether. Unbelievable. The TNI complements existing programs partners have in place. Oh, good. They have other programs. Cool. The partners currently within the TNI are AP, AFP, BBC, CBC Radio Canada, European Broadcasting Union, Facebook, Financial Times, First Draft, Google and YouTube, The Hindu, Microsoft, Reuters, Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, Twitter, and The Washington Post. Wow. So what I'm seeing here is that journalism organizations, large and small. Oh, no, wait. All those are just absolutely massive journalism organizations. They're not actually competing. Instead of competing, they're making sure that they're all saying the same thing to everyone. And with the reach of all these organizations, you figure that they can pretty much hit everyone. And well, they've all got reputations somehow. They all have these big reputations. They are taken seriously. So if all the most serious sources are all coordinating to say the exact same thing, what do we have there? That sounds like the mouthpiece of global communism. That sounds like we have a propagandistic state media that actually spans the globe. In fact, that's exactly what we have. Now let's go back to Breitbart. Easton has not answered questions whether others from the AP were in the Slack group and whether the AP supports the public release of the contents of the Slack group in the interest of transparency. She has also not agreed to provide Caravellano an interview on the matter, sticking instead to the canned pre-written statement. Some members like Heath from The Verge expressed unease in the Slack group with how it was operating. Quote, this is the weirdest thing I've ever been part of reporting wise. Heath wrote in it, according to this, according to Smith's Times report, he is not the only person familiar with the contents of the Slack group who has expressed concern about it all. One person who is not a member, but has seen several of the messages and is familiar with what was discussed in the group told Breitbart News that he is considering taking the contents of it all public. We all know that the news is made in a way that is not reflective of reality, but this special project took it to a whole new level of dishonesty. This person told Breitbart News while requesting anonymity to protect their relationships across media. Zadrozny is another who apparently, according to Smith's report in the Times, expressed unease with the group's functionality. After a Times reporter said the old gray lady was, that's the New York Times, by the way, was going to jump the gun on everyone and publish something sooner than the coordinated date, claiming the newspaper had the documents independently, Zadrozny reportedly bashed the Times in the coordinated effort. In her message to the Slack group, she also said she believes this is now a, quote, media story, not just a big tech story. And I have to think she sounds right about that. My editor says, if the New York Times doesn't have to abide by the rules, then we are out. I'm really sorry. This sucks. And now it's a media story, Zadrozny said. Individually, while the New York Times staffers identified by their colleague Smith as members of the group, Isaac and Mac, did not reply to interviews, interview requests, or detailed questions, Mac did take to his Twitter feed after he received the Breitbart News inquiry to insist he believes in the public release of all the Facebook documents and claimed he had no role in coordinating the release strategy. Quote, I have no involvement in the release of the docs and only receive them at will as they're being released and more come out every day. Max said in a three tweet thread. And yeah, it probably looks like gatekeeping, but LOL, I can assure it's just more a bunch of people running from fire to fire. And he's probably telling the truth, LOL. Mac has not answered whether he supports the public release of the entire contents of the Slack group in which these media outlet representatives, including himself, were allegedly coordinating the document dumps. Okay, so what we have here is a fake whistleblower from big tech who is, I know it doesn't appear that way, but doing the bidding of big tech. She is working in the best interests of big tech. And you know this because if she was not, she would be treated the same way that Google's whistleblower, Zach Voorhees was treated or the whistleblower from Facebook. And I believe his name is Ryan Hartwig. They were treated terribly. 
If she was a real whistleblower, she would have gone to Project Veritas, not 60 Minutes. And if she was a real whistleblower, she wouldn't be asking for greater censorship. This is a coordinated political campaign. Politics and big tech working together again. This is not a new thing. It is not a conspiracy. Take it from me. I was banned off Instagram and Twitter. And I found out months later through a Judicial Watch FOIA that one of the posts, the California Secretary of State had specifically asked Instagram to take down was a post, a video from that a friend of mine posted with me in it talking about how the California Secretary of State placed my voter registration onto the permanent mail-in voting list. That's what I said in the video. They asked for that to be taken down. They asked Instagram and the post was taken down. And later I was banned. Do I know there's a direct connection between those two? No, I don't. But it is easy to assume that if I'm in a post that the California Secretary of State flags for removal, they're probably putting more restrictions onto my account. And yes, they absolutely do that. So we have a fake whistleblower. We have an Obama lackey who now works at the PR group that Jen Psaki came from. So we have all the coordination we could possibly need with the fake president and the shadow president and big tech and the whistleblower. And then we add in a bunch of communist news organizations who are able to produce fake news and they release the documents in a methodical way to control the news cycle in a way that benefits them. These are the people that we are supposed to trust. These are the people that are supposed to be informing us. If we are attached to the central narrative, if we are consumers of mainstream culture, we are supposed to go out into the world and repeat the things these people tell us to other people. We're supposed to just accept that they're true. And we're supposed to expect that other people will accept that they're true. And so we can all repeat the same things over and over to one another. We'll have the conversations that we're allowed to have about the controversial parts that they report. We can try to figure out which article might be a little more right than the other one. Oh, it's very mysterious. And that's what constitutes acceptable political discourse in our society now. And what do we see here? What do we see from this Breitbart article and from what we know about the Trusted News Initiative? We understand that a common message is going to be flowing out of all of these organizations about every issue. Okay, if you think that what happened with this fake Facebook whistleblower is an isolated incident, well, I would think that you are insane. I imagine this stuff probably happens all the time. In fact, I would imagine Jen Psaki's team at the White House has similar Slack channels where they coordinate the messaging among mainstream news figures. And some of this has been going on forever. You know, a newspaper editor might get a phone call from someone in the White House press office and the person in the White House press office asks them for a favor, asks them to delay reporting something until the next day, whatever it might be. That stuff has probably happened forever. But it seems now the media organizations have just abandoned any adherence to what we used to consider basic fundamentals of journalistic ethics. They are just more than happy to accept the same story, put their own little beneficial spin on it that helps their company over the other company, and then send it out. It's all coordinated. There's no competition here except perhaps on a superficial level. One of the people in the group might brag about how they're a better writer and the other person might brag about how they got more retweets or they got more page views. They might have that sort of competition, but they're not competing to get the story right. They're not competing to break news. They apparently don't care at all. And then you go up to the next step, that trusted news initiative. They're talking about working together 
to convince the public that the vaccine, the experimental gene therapy that is currently in human medical trials right now and not FDA approved is very safe and effective. That's what they have to tell everyone. They want to eliminate any disinformation saying otherwise, because if you say otherwise, it has to be disinformation. But they don't just work on that. That BBC release that I read lists Myanmar, the election there, and the U.S. election. The Myanmar election, as I have explained on the show many times, was stolen. It is a perfect parallel to the situation here. The same people were at work over there. Okay, the woman who attempted to steal the election is an Obama and Clinton ally. George Soros was involved with the election and the election apparatus. He has paid money to the candidate. He has funded Myanmar's version of Antifa to create havoc in the streets in an attempt to steal that election. What's happening in Myanmar is basically the same thing that's outlined in the Transition Integrity Project. Our issue in the United States just went a different direction because Donald Trump stepped down rather than having the military rise up to depose the fraudulent winner. So you've got these little journalistic Slack channels, and then you've got the Trusted News Initiative. And then above that, you have Google. Right. So if you're going to try to search out information on Google, Google is tailoring those results specifically to lead you to information that will push your brain in the direction they want. Okay, you're going to believe what Google wants you to believe about any subject. That's the goal. And it's obvious and everyone knows it. All you have to do is go on a different search engine and you can find legitimate information that is not tailored to you by Google. You can bear witness to what their algorithm does. Okay, so this is a disinformation operation. All right. This is absolute state media propaganda. This is big brother stuff. There's only one thing that you are allowed to believe, and they are going to make damn sure you believe it. If you don't believe it and you try to say something else, well, they're, they're going to make it impossible for you to get your message out, for you to communicate through the channels that everyone else uses. They're going to slander you and make sure that you are labeled a conspiracy theorist or a crackpot or a spreader of false information. And they are going to do everything they can to make sure there is only one story. And then if you drop down to the bottom of that, you can look at Twitter. Know these journalists are on there all day long trying to figure out what line of attack works and what doesn't. Hey, what are the people in our audience responding to? How can we frame this issue so that these dumb brain dead commies will agree with us and accept the story we tell them because we know we can't tell them the truth. One thing we can never do is tell the public the truth. And that brings me to the announcement over the last week of Donald Trump's new social media endeavor. He put out a big statement on this, I think over the weekend, maybe it was Monday, but I want to take a second and read this because I just want to put the whole thing on here so that everyone hears it. It's a, an excellent statement about where we really are as a country in this media environment. Last week, I announced the creation of a major new company that will challenge the dominance of the big tech giants and big media bosses. Today, I want to explain more about what I am doing and why. For me, this endeavor is about much more than politics. This is about saving our country. America has always been a nation of smart, spirited, and independent people who take pride in thinking for themselves. We admire those who aren't afraid to speak their minds or go against the tide. Hey, thanks. Yet suddenly, we find ourselves being censored and dictated to by a small group of self-righteous scolds and self-appointed arbiters of what everyone else is allowed to think, say, share, and do. And I think I've just laid that out pretty clearly. Nowhere is this censorship more dangerous and brazen than on social media, the public square of our times. We have seen renowned medical doctors being banned from platforms for contradicting, quote, health authorities or 
questioning the political narrative of the moment. We've seen scientists blacklisted for sharing evidence that the pandemic began in a Chinese lab. We've seen vital reporting about Joe and Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings, information that voters needed and deserved to hear, ruthlessly suppressed and erased from the Internet just weeks before a presidential election. As everyone knows, we've seen a sitting president of the United States effectively silenced by a small oligarchy of tech titans and mainstream media corporations. The corruption of these platforms cannot be ignored. We have fallen far down the slippery slope of censorship in our country, and the topics that Americans are increasingly forbidden to debate are among the most important issues of our day. This wildly aggressive censorship and cancel culture is not only un-American, it has direct real-world consequences. Most obvious are the many catastrophes unfolding under the current administration, the calamitous Afghanistan withdrawal, the disaster at the southern border, runaway inflation, and the multi-trillion dollar socialist spending nightmare, just to name a few. In a country that had free speech and a free flow of information, none of this would have ever happened. And no one understands that better than the people doing the censoring. And he is exactly right. I've said that so many times on this podcast. Without the censorship, no one would believe any of this shit. Okay. And I'm talking here about communists and redeemable communists. They believe this stuff because they don't understand the magnitude of censorship. They think that they are actually getting a wide swath of viewpoints that they are reading. They're considering ideas from Republicans. They are not. They are getting exactly what they are supposed to be shown by the people who choose what everyone else is supposed to be shown. And I just went through how that operation works. That really is what's happening. Do you think that any of these commies, maybe 5% would, 5% of everybody, I mean, those really truly awful communists, the ones who are just absolutely deranged, the ones bullying and screaming and yelling about everything all the time, like the wear three masks people, the ones with the Pfizer tattoos, those idiots. Leave them aside. Everyone else would believe normal, correct things. And then we could have a conversation about values and opinions. Okay. Which option is better? Where might we be failing morally? Okay. Those are the conversations a society should be having. We should not be having a conversation about whether or not there is evidence of election fraud in a normal media environment. If the media was doing what the media pretends it does, if they were objectively reporting on reality, there is not an American outside of those really awful communists who would ever believe that the election was not stolen. Okay. The evidence is overwhelming. The only reason people don't believe it is because they were convinced they are in a majority that does not exist and that everyone else really does hate Donald Trump. They don't believe it because no one tells them the truth. No one allows them to see real information. They only see what they're supposed to see and they believe all of it because they don't have two brain cells to rub together. Back to Trump's statement. Yet the silencing and cancellation also affects our country in more subtle but equally destructive ways. How many Americans no longer trust a word they hear from their leaders, media or public health officials because the one thing they know for certain is that they are not getting the full story? How many ordinary citizens have sadly come to resent their neighbors, feeling that they now live in two entirely different realities? And how many millions of Americans silently oppose so much of the nonsense being inflicted on us, but see the heavy hand of the, sen the cancelers and conclude that their voice can make no difference or that the cost of speaking up is just too high? And that is the best paragraph I've ever seen in anything Trump has ever written. That is just dead on awesome. He is exactly right. How many ordinary citizens have sadly come to resent their neighbors, feeling that they now live in two entirely different realities? That is so true. That is exactly what is happening. And that is exactly where all this resentment and division comes from. It, too, is a product of the censorship. And the, the cancel regime is what makes it so much worse because these idiots are actually emboldened to be hateful even while being totally wrong and completely uninformed. The new age of censorship is disastrous for our country. Things were far better in the days when we had our debates fiercely and openly, and then we could move forward together as Americans with both sides, knowing that their voice and their best arguments had been heard.
The more I looked into this problem, the more I realized that to restore free speech, a major new platform would have to enter the market with an ironclad commitment to protecting vigorous debate from all sides. But since it is both hard and expensive to build a new platform, totally independent of big tech's infrastructure, it would have to be an extremely well-funded multi-year undertaking. In addition, such a platform would need the ability to rapidly attract millions of users, welcoming not only Republicans to join, but independents and Democrats as well. It's a tremendously difficult set of challenges, and I realized I might be the only person in America with the megaphone, the resources, the experience, and the desire to make it all happen. So with the same can-do spirit that has always allowed Americans to persevere, that is exactly what I am doing. To take on big tech censorship, we are creating a big tent platform, Truth Social. We are inviting people of all political stripes and all different viewpoints to come and participate once again in the great American debate. That's what our country is supposed to be about. Unlike with the big tech platforms, there will be no shadow banning, throttling, demonetizing, or messing with algorithms for political manipulation. We will not be treating users like lab rats for social experiments or labeling alternate views as disinformation. We will not silence our fellow citizens simply because they might be wrong or worse because we think that Americans, quote, can't handle the truth. And that's a very powerful statement right there. Wonder what he means by that. What truth might be coming out that Americans can't handle? Probably all of it because we have made a massive portion of Americans complete intellectual weaklings who cannot discern the truth or falsity of ideas. They can't defend ideas and they can't understand those ideas within a larger picture. And hey, it is what it is. Those are the people who are called the most educated in our society. The truth is they are the most indoctrinated in our society. It will be as free, vibrant, lively, and diverse as America itself. And Truth Social is only the beginning of our plans. The Trump Media and Technology Group will also be launching an on-demand video streaming service that competes with the increasingly woke and politicized entertainment programming created by big tech and big media players. TMTG also sees opportunities to create cancel-proof alternatives in other key areas, ranging from web services to payment processing. Again, that's huge because, as we know, PayPal is now working with the Anti-Defamation League to figure out who they should knock off their platform for saying the wrong things. We have Amazon Web Services taking down Parler, stuff like that. That's exactly what he's aiming at and what he's talking about. In the end, a small number of powerful people who think who all think the same thing and wish to silence anyone who thinks differently cannot be trusted to control almost every major media technology and entertainment company in America. I am determined to break their chokehold over the voices of the American people, not just for myself and my own supporters, but for the United States of America and good for president Trump. And now for some speculation, because he mentioned that it would be a multi-year process. It would be very difficult. They want to have all these different options. The platforms need to be able to, the platform needs to be able to attract millions of users quickly, right? Can't be a long process. You need to make that move, get this new platform involved, and then we go forward. Now, yesterday, Rumble, uh, I guess, brought locals Locals.com under its umbrella. So there's going to be a new monetization aspect or feature of the Rumble platform. And I look at the current state of social media and I, I wonder, you know, because Jason Miller was on War Room last week saying that he and Trump have been in conversations, but they were unable to finalize a deal for Getter to be the Trump platform of choice. So I look at what's out there right now and specifically Getter, which is a suitable Twitter replacement or could be, could grow into one. You've got Gab, which is in many ways set up very similarly to Facebook. And then we have Rumble now with locals that is a replacement for YouTube. And I'm seeing three, you know, free speech conservative friendly platforms that are almost direct parallels to their mainstream communist competitors. So you've got Twitter, YouTube, which is Google and Facebook. And in competition with them, we've got Gab, Rumble and Getter. If all of those unite 
under that Trump banner. I mean, look, Facebook brought Instagram under its umbrella. They brought WhatsApp under their umbrella. So this isn't an unheard of idea. What I'm keeping an eye on is any indication that that might be what's happening, because I think that would be an absolute power move. And I think we desperately need it. I mean, don't get me wrong. We are doing a more than adequate job of defeating the capacity for those platforms to create a singular narrative within our culture. We are doing an excellent job of that. None of what's happening right now would be happening if we did not have the narrative advantage that we have. It's just still not totally broken open wide, right? If there was no censorship at all, this game would be over very, very quickly. And that's what the goal is. We're defeating it anyway, but this is why it takes so long. I think ultimately we have to have faith that the other people in our communities who still have these rock dumb communist ideas, it's not because they are inherently bad people. They are being bad people. Don't get me wrong. They have plenty to seek forgiveness for. Okay. They are the people who have led our culture to this point. They are the people who have defended a stolen election and a Nazi science regime, as I discussed yesterday. They are defending that actively, and that cannot simply be forgiven, but they are doing it because they have all of the wrong beliefs, and that was done to them. Now, could they have gotten themselves outside of that? Yes, they could. Okay, but that is a harder thing to do because it's hard in the first instance to even recognize what is happening to you. And like I said at the beginning, they are incentivized against telling the truth. They are incentivized to lie because lying is how they look like good people. Telling the truth is not going to make you look like a good person while you're defending the Loudoun County School Board, teaching kids critical race theory and covering up rapes because the rapist is non-binary that day. Okay, you can't look like a good person while defending the Loudoun County School Board unless you pretend that something that is not true is in fact the only truth. That's where we are. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range.
acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!